The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Couture, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Beautiful. Was that a, was that a decent pour? That, that was damn fine. Hey, everybody. Like I'm John Myers, and you are listening to The Winemakers. I'm sitting across from Jeff Cohn and Ian Blessing. And, of course, as always, Mr. Brian well, Casey. Not as always. I missed the I missed the, the show you guys did with Jamie Powers, and I missed the, the sort of the year in review, and I was really bummed about it, but we're doing a lot of work on my house, and I got to be there. And, well, and, you know, I mean, not everybody can be at every one, yeah. which is, you know, okay. So how are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. Man, you, you made the move from Oakland to Sonoma look so smooth, and I'm sure it wasn't. Oh, it was easy. The city of Sonoma was great. You know, <laughs> they made everything go through smoothly. There was no, there was no yeah. waiting to get things taken care yeah, of. Yeah, they didn't care about how no, you did. No, they just said just open those doors whenever you want. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Wish it was that easy. Um, yeah. I mean, you can really say what you feel on here. Yeah. yeah well, I just it, did. If it sucked, <laughs> it sucked. Sarcasm goes a long way. Oh, it, it does. Sarcasm. Best humor, and then of course Santa Rosa. You know that went smoothly. Also, we opened up that brand new tasting room. I mean that brand new winery, and uh, I had a warm welcome Tell with me. the fire. So oh, that right. was really special. Yeah. Also, being how, on uh, how nice. I didn't know about the Santa Rosa. Oh yeah, we moved the winery. We we were in Oakland to begin with, and then we moved to Santa Rosa. Um, and then of course a few months later, we we had that warm welcome with the fire. You know, I'm on Coffee Lane, but I'm about, Are you really? geez, I'm on Coffee Lane, but uh, three Away. blocks down the street from Coffee Park. So that was uh, a bit of an eye-opening experience for yeah. all of us. Um, I it, can imagine it wasn't just hard enough to start opening with a with the winery. But to have God. that happen, damn um, that fire, man! It's never going to go away. It's going to take years to. I mean, people are still doing, you know, first responder dinners and you know, free pancake breakfasts for you know donations for the firemen and the, good. you know everything else. Yeah. And we don't have enough firemen. I mean, no, uh, Glen Ellen, they're losing them by, and it's, that's totally volunteer up there. Uh, where the fire really started around here, and believe me, uh, I was—I wouldn't want to have been up there that night. I mean, we split Wednesday um, after this. It started Sunday, right? Sunday night. Sunday yeah. night, and so we we left Wednesday, and we're gone. We were gone until the next Sunday, and uh, came home. Everything was okay. It was a little smoky, I'll tell you that. I mean, the place was... I thought somebody had barbecued in my house for the last two weeks. That was me. I was actually staying there. There you were. Yeah. Yeah. I did stop by and took a picture Make, of John's making, house for him. Making tri-tip. Right. Well, I did, you know, I appreciate that when you, when you ran by and said... Yeah, the house was still there. Still there. You know, lights Barbecue's are, working. Lights are on. So, <laughs> Ian, how did it affect you guys? I mean, we were closed for for that week but just like everybody Anyone? was okay yeah i mean every, every restaurant every winery everything in in all of wine country was closed for for a week um not because you know there was no danger at the restaurant the, the french laundry was fine yonfo was fine um it was i mean that that night was crazy the night that it started on sunday night looking over you know from the balcony it it it, it looked like the fires were you know 10 feet away it looked like they were right next door um, oh, I imagine. It was, it was terrifying. This oh. was the, the, the night they started. It, was, it looked like it was right there. Um, you realize later that it, you know, this is miles away. On a, on, you're looking at the Atlas Peak fire, and it's nowhere near Yonville, but it, it's, it, it seemed really close. It, it sure did. <clears throat> it was crazy. So I, you know, I, I remember I was leaving. I, I drove home thinking, oh, God, I hope Sonoma's okay, because I was living in Sonoma. And, uh, you know, of course, I, I get to Carderos Highway, and there's flames on both sides both and i'm like sides. oh god okay this is this is a thing and and went to bed that night you know i i 
could still even even from Sonoma could see the fires from Carneros and, and thought, OK, whatever. But this is going to go away. This is just, you know, it's a it's a it's a forest fire, you know, wildfire. It happens all the time. Woke up the next morning to my roommates all glued to the news being like, hey, come check. You know, there's there's a there's a fire. I'm like, yeah, I know. We saw it last night. They're like, no, it's a big deal. <laughs> they like and then there's like pictures of Coffee Park, like completely destroyed. I'm like, oh, OK, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't actually I didn't have any that. idea that I mean, this is what was going on. And, and you know, so here I'm on Steel Lane, which is right down the street from Coffee Park. Yeah, I know it. And uh, Very north side. 10.30 at night, I wake up, you know, it's during harvest, so I, I went to bed about 9. 10.30, I wake up and, and I hear this like sound like rain going through the trees, you know? I'm like, oh, I can't believe this rain during harvest. This is not good. I go outside, and it's just wind whipping through yeah. the trees. I mean, mile an it, hour yeah, wind. it was yeah. insane. So, and I could smell smoke, but I don't see anything at this point. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to go back to bed. Somebody has a fireplace going or something. I don't know. That's what I thought. And then at 1.30 in the morning, you know, you get that knock on the door that, we're evacuating. Yeah, get out so of here. Get out of here. And it's now. Like, well, where the hell am I supposed to go? I don't, you know, I'm pretty new to Santa Rosa. And everybody in the apartment complex is leaving like sheep in a herd, you know? So I'm like, where do I go? Where do I go? So I didn't know either. I mean, because every hotel and motel filled up. I mean, that was it. And even all the way down to San Francisco, it was. It was nuts. Filled up. Yeah, that was completely. Crazy. So my, I decided that it was important for me to go to the winery to check on it. Yeah. You know, that was my in my head. And I drove there. I get there. And of course, everything is fine. The traffic is insane on Steel Lane. And I get back in the car. I look at my car. And the radiator fluid is totally empty. And I'm like, this oh is my God, daughter's no. old, old Volvo. And I'm like, oh, well. All right, I'll go to the gas station. I'll get some radiator fluid. You know, I'll put some coolant in there, and we'll be on the way. Well, there's smoke everywhere. You see the ashes. You can see the fire in the in the distance, and you're like, I just got to get out of here. So this radiator fluid is going all over the place. It's not going in. It's just leaking out. Yeah, it's leaking out. So <laughs> uh, the guy, and I see this guy. He's like, man, it's just going all over the place. So I get back in the car. I'm like, you know what? I'm just driving. And I, I got to the evacuation center, and I was fine. And you know, and the winery, winery was totally fine. I cool. mean, we went back the next day. That's was, what's important, man. It it's was your living. You know? That's right. My living is there. My apartment was fine. The winery was full of smoke, so we had to air who, it out. Who did we talk to? Um, Kieran, Kieran Robinson, Robinson, right. who they picked in Bennett Valley late. Saturday night. Late on Sunday. So, uh, late on Sunday. Everything, was, on in, Sunday. Uh, everything was in plastic bins, and he was planning on coming back the next, next day and doing, um, you know, taking and, the grapes. And so. getting it. Uh, and everything sat there for 12 days until he could get in, uh, and it was all raisins. Good raisins. <laughs> good raisins, good yeah. raisins. Smoky raisins. <laughs> Smoky raisins. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, John, can we do a, a, a we formal sure introduction of uh, Jeff in case there's people out there that don't we, know who this sure guy can. is? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Jeff, uh, do. Jeff Cohn from JC Sellers, I think. Jeff Cohn Sellers now. Je- is it Jeff Cohn it Sellers? It is now? Jeff Cohn Sellers. Good. We we got kind of tired of the Jesus jokes. Yeah. Oh so, right, uh, right. You know, I had all the answers. My or wine, JC Pennies. definitely. Yeah, JC but you turned water into wine, yeah, so yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's, a, there's a connection there. There yeah, is that right? connection. Should have milked that. To walk yeah. on wine. <laughs> yeah, we walk on wine. So. Crushing case and, sales with the but religious Jeff, crowd. Jeff, I think. Um, <laughs> Jeff started his, uh, well, you know what, if, will you give us a little history of how you got into wine and, and do me a favor and start in the Caribbean because I'm curious about what the hell are you doing in the Caribbean? Oh my gosh. So, you know, I have an associates in culinary arts from Johnson, Wales, in Providence, Rhode Island. And then I went and got my hospitality degree down in Miami at FIU. And uh, I did, I, as I was telling you guys earlier, I, I had this class with this one professor and he opened my eyes to, to wine. Even though I've had wine many, many times, but taking this one wine class really just, it, everything came together uh, to the point where I had this wine class, then I had a lunch break, and then I had an English class, but during that lunch break, my girlfriend and I would go through two bottles of wine. Wow. I'd, I don't know how I got back to class and how I passed the English class. <laughs> and then she would drive to A&P grocery store. She was Get a cashier. 
All right, and I don't know how she does, how she did that. She's now a lawyer, and we 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 <laughs> we, could t- we talk about it every so often that what the hell was going on with us? But something clicked that day that I just always loved the wine. So I worked in the hospitality industry for many many years, and uh, my last job, my last real job, I like to call it, uh, I decided to take a job in the Caribbean. My girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife. She moved from Virginia down to Miami, and I, I was like, well, I have to make a decision, right? i got to make a decision where my relationship is going at this point. I went down there. I did a bunch of interviews. I got nothing. I was like, I don't want to work at any of these places, or they don't want to work with me. So I get a phone call from one of my counselors from FIU that we're still in touch with. He called me up. He goes, listen, I was at a bar. I'm sitting next to this young lady <laughs> okay. who works for Windjammer Barefoot Cruises, and I thought of you. Wow. All right? He's uh-huh. like, are you interested? I said, well, tell me about Windjammer. He goes, it's in the Caribbean. That's all I'm going to tell you. And you're getting a phone call from the president of their company. They're going to interview wow. over the phone. Three-hour interview, and I was sold. Wait, now, what is the job for? What is Food and beverage director for okay. Windjammer Barefoot Cruises. Okay. They had uh, five tall ships and one uh, supply vessel. So you're actually going to be on shore or you're going to be on the boat? One to two weeks on shore, three weeks, two to three weeks down island. Okay. So I That's went from Miami shabby, all the way huh? to Trinidad and Tobago. Right. So, um, and in Martinique, I had a very, I met a friend, I made a friend who owned a wine shop there. Everything is French. French Island. Oh, right. So on my day off, I spent a lot of time in that, that, that wine shop and we drank a lot of wine. Yeah. So everything just started to roll. And, you know, once I left that job in the Caribbean, I came back to Maryland where I'm from and Alexandra, my wife, and I, we got married and, and I had to make a decision because I, I, I wasn't happy with what I was doing. Um, and I think you have to be totally happy with what you're doing in life uh, to succeed. It helps. It helps. It sure is. And uh, after being married for about four months, I told her I wanted to go back to college to, to study wine. So that was, you know, that's not what a wife wants to hear after being married four months and having no money coming <laughs> no, in not. on your side and only on hers. But I did. I went back to school. I went to Fresno State. It worked. It worked. And uh, I, I, you know thrilled that it did um i think everybody each experience that you have in life is a domino effect on what's going to happen next and i think that job in the caribbean really set the tone and then when i went to fresno state and i took this job at rosenblum out of all places but wait you missed what i, I what do you want i'm, I'm kind of curious about no about uh, maryland maryland so you take a job in maryland at a winery i do i take a job at a little winery called bordy so this is what I'm always curious Growing about. What, like Cab Franc and this and is what I always want to know is what are they what are they growing in Cab these, Franc in and these places that we've never been? Bosch, Chambersine, um, okay. Norton, they, Norton. Yeah, uh, they did have a little bit of Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. We made an apple wine that was right. actually amazing, Catoctin apples, uh, wow. which were just uh, just fantastic. Not a dessert wine, an actual just a, a regular, dry, right? Dry, very crisp white wine. Yum. I remember reading about Norton in the wine Bible, like the first couple weeks that I got into wine, <laughs> and, and Karen McNeil's description for it. And <laughs> exactly. This was, Norton, and this, and this, Norton. Was, this was something that... that Horton. Yeah, Norton from Horton. Yeah, exactly. Right? It was Horton, Horton's Norton. This was a, descri- a, a descriptor. Yeah, this was a descriptor that apparently everybody had used for Norton was that it was foxy. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, all you know, every other descriptor, you're like, okay, I get it. I'm like, what is... Foxy doesn't make any sense. I still and then, don't know what that and means. I, have, I still have no idea what it means, but you, but you, <laughs> t- but you taste it. And there's like something on the back end, and you go, "Oh, I understand. That's what they're talking." Like I still don't know what Foxy means, but you know what they're talking about. You right, know what right, that right. descriptor is. But it's, it's uh, this weird, like lingering thing on the finish that like doesn't quite sit right. It's the same thing. So earlier we were talking about Christoph Barron's wines in in, in Walla Walla, and there's a, there's always this common descriptor of of wines from, from Walla Walla. It's this, it's this the rocks funk. It's this Cayuse funk, and you're like, "What does that mean? I don't know." But then you smell the wine, and you go, "I know exactly what you're talking about." Right. It's right. this. It's now this, it makes sense. It's the smell or this flavor that you can't quite identify because right. it doesn't have an analog. It's not blueberries or boysenberries or rosemary or whatever. It, it's not even blood. It's like it's just this this funk that doesn't have French funk. It doesn't baby. have a it doesn't have a comparison it's in the real even, world. It's not even a French funk. It's not even French funk. It's just this thing that doesn't make any sense. It's like foxy. Right, it's like what is right. foxy? I don't know. But but you know what? When you smell it and you taste it, you're like I get it. 
And then wines from Maryland. Who's drinking those wines? Is it primarily it's, people yeah, it's in around the area? It's all, it's all local. Right. And, you know, when I started at 40, they were like only 12,000 cases. They're like 150,000 cases now. Wow. They're, they're gigantic. When I started at 40, I did everything from cleaning toilets, uh, cleaning barrels, uh, pruning, picking all day long. We would pick all day, and then we would pick up all the lugs on a truck and bring them to the winery, and then we would... We would crush in the evening and process all night. Wow. And then I'd drive back from Baltimore, which is where the winery is in the hills of Baltimore, back to where I lived, which was another about hour, hour and a half away. So, Geez, you had a uh, nice commute. Oh, yeah. Wow. Because yeah. there's no traffic in the you know Maryland, D.C. area. Oh, no, none <laughs> at all. Right. <laughs> now, have you ever been, just on a total side note, have you ever been to Monticello? 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 Yes. Yes, okay. to, to, to the winery and, and up there in Virginia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Very small. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious. So. I think I went there as a kid, but just kind of curious how Jefferson and how he was a big... Uh, well, his stuff didn't work out. Right. So but I, they, they have the right some things of planted it did, right. now. He, yeah. He, he was, he was uh, uh, quite the oh. ladies' man. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he was yeah, having he was one. having fun. Hashtag yeah. me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too soon. Sorry too about soon. that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What can I say? <laughs> Hashtag me too soon. <laughs> and uh we also have well, we introduced uh Jeff. We oh. need to introduce Ian Blessing. Um should I, should, let me take the reins. Ian uh <laughs> Ian Blessing, um now at French Laundry, but formerly at um the girl in the fig, and then before that, star server at Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> Sorry, I don't uh, know if that's on your resume. Yeah, no, it it is. Okay, and, and it should be. It's I been mean, an interesting yeah, progression. Yeah. yeah, and Ian came. Ian came to work at the girl in the fig, um, and we were so glad to have him, and and became a manager there, and then really got into wine, and um, and then has sort of cut his own swath in the in the wine business and, and went for his dream job and got it. So we're happy to, to call him a friend and to have him here uh, on the podcast. Absolutely. And and uh, Joan was saying, oh, I hope he brings some pick pool that, that was, uh, you know, cured down and with the sharks, et cetera, make up uh, some story. <laughs> you know, she she don't just, make anything she, up. She just, just wanted you to make up a story about the wine you were going to bring. And that was it. It's well, funny. there's... There, there is <laughs> plenty of there, stories. There is a story. It's, it's not a made-up story. So I, I brought a, a bottle of Pigpool Noir, which was actually kind of a, a a joke almost, but I thought these guys would would find it it fun. So when I when I first got into wine, <clears throat> so this is the, you know what I find interesting about about Jeff's story getting into into wine, and I think we all kind of have this some version of this story is that it started because we we drank a lot of wine. And we all, at some point, we liked getting drunk and we liked the flavor of wine. And then at some point, there's the turning point where you go, oh, there's more going on here than just getting a buzz. There's actually something happening here. Always something to talk about. There's too. something to talk about. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 becomes, it becomes interesting. And I, I think that's, you know, <clears throat> people at the restaurant at the French Laundry will ask me all the time where, where I started, what I did before this. And I'll mention the girl in the fig. And they say, you know, what about before that? And I say, the Cheesecake Factory. And they go, that's weird. What are you doing here? It's like, well, I, you know, I don't know. I've been working in restaurants forever. I've always known that restaurants are what I love. I love serving people. But it wasn't until I, I picked up a wine book one day and started reading and became fascinated and, and ultimately started drinking wine. I'd never drank anything other than, you know, two buck chuck straight out of the bottle. I was drinking barefoot. I was drinking yeah. yellowtail, like <laughs> through a straw. Like, I mean, that's, you know. With I was a, with, I was with a bag wrapped around. Yeah, I was drinking wine because because that's you know, cause it was because it was cheap. Yeah, it was you know I was drinking cheap wine for to to catch a buzz and and you you finally actually sit down one day and you 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 get into it and it, it just beca- something you, else it, there you, you can clicks, you, you can right? finally yeah. attach to something. I think I think a lot so a lot of us have this in common that you know we we were maybe successful doing other things but kind of were drifters and didn't really ever latch onto anything and there was nothing that really made sense and nothing we could see doing forever and yeah it's a little weird that that's how you get into it is because it's an intoxicant but at the end of the day it's like okay i can get behind this i i like this i this is something i can do forever i like this job you, i'm not i'm gonna take my my depravity and, and turn it into you know a, why not a, right. i'm gonna turn it into a profession right. um, <laughs> perfect so i so when i was first getting into wine i was working at the girl in the fig and um casey was was a Huge, sorry, Brian Casey. Do we call you Brian here? Or do we call you Casey? I don't even know anymore. Okay, C- BC. This, this guy, BC. Brian Casey was uh, was was my mentor. Brian was was the wine director, and I was just you know this 
kid moving to Sonoma that was really excited about wine. And knew nothing God, about. I knew, I knew. I knew nothing about. Be going through the <laughs> Are you roof kidding? right now. <laughs> just like you, John. Ian is one of those guys that I love being around. When people have a, they take a, a genuine interest in something, and it's something that you love. You're so happy to have someone around that actually it, cares it was fun. what's I, coming I, out of your mouth. I, I could tell. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. Right. I could tell yeah, that. I could tell that Brian had been. You know, he, he he was doing his thing. He was crushing it. He was he was running the wine program, and it was awesome. But he needed a he needed a, a wine buddy. He needed somebody that was like going to geek out and get really excited about these things. So I, you know, at, at the very this is I I'm just getting into wine. I knew nothing about Rhone varietals. Um, I knew it was a cool idea. I loved the wine list. I thought it was fun, but I got really into Pickpool. I just, I really attached to this, this really simple, basic, crisp, clean, kind of zippy white wine. And, uh, I, I, you know, it, because I, I obsess over things, I started researching and I found out the Pickpool comes in three colors, much like Pinot does, Pinot, Pinot, Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc and, and Pinot Noir, uh, Grenache, Grenache Gris, same thing. Pickpool comes in Pickpool Gris and Pickpool Noir. And my mind was blown. My like my little like developing young wine mind was like, yeah, totally. This is amazing. I literally had a dream. I told I came in one day and I told Casey that I had a dream about searching for Pickpool Noir. I had this like long epic quest dream. <laughs> right. I like and, it. And, and 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 in this dream, it was like it was hours long, and I was searching for this wine. I was searching because I knew that it existed, but you couldn't find it anywhere. It, it only existed in like two acres in France, and it was either put into cheap table wine blends or or the the local stuff was just consumed there. And so I, I had this dream that I was on this quest to find a bottle of Pickpool Noir. Were you in France in the I dream? don't remember where I was. I think I must have. I think I probably flew to France. I think it probably started <laughs> here. Go. And I flew to France and I was like knocking on people's doors and I was like trying to find it. <laughs> and, then eventually, first class. and then eventually. And then eventually. Hi, do you have a Pickpool? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then eventually in this Pickpool. dream, I, I found it. I found a bottle of Pickpool Noir and I was like so excited. And I was, I, I, I was like, I, it was like the greatest feeling in the entire world. And then I woke up. And I was that so, sucks. and I was so crushed. I'm like, my first thought was so happy. I was like, oh my God, I found it. I can't wait to go tell everybody. I can't wait to taste it. I can't wait to pour Casey this pickle noir. And then I realized <laughs> it was a dream and that I would never actually find it. Uh, and there's an importer that I, I buy wine through in, in Washington. And he uh, brought in this pickle noir about a year ago. Uh, and it's like eight bucks a bottle. And so I bought six and you know, it's not, it's <laughs> so not, it's not I great. It's, it's very simple red, red wine, but it's, it's what, it's turns your mouth on that. It's kind of tasty. Yeah, it's, I think it's exciting. It's, it's pretty. Fun. It's pretty light. It's 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 light. It's tart. Um, I mean, that's the reason. It, it, this is why it doesn't get made into a single varietal wine is because it doesn't really have a lot of stuffing. That's yeah. why it gets blended. It's pretty light in color. It tends to be high in alcohol, and it doesn't really have a lot of structure. Um, but for the same reason that I really like, you know, Beaujolais, and and light Pinot and really light red wines, this kind of does the same thing. It's just it's light. It's tart. It's fruity. Um, yeah. Fun it's, easy, and it's easy to drink and it's eight there bucks. You it's go. like it's if you, drink, you just yeah. want to drink some some red wine on Tuesday night or yeah. or you know eleven o'clock in the morning on Thursday. Right. <laughs> That's where I go. Pickpool right. Noir is, is your uh, is I, your I guy. I think it has a pretty nose. It's it does. It it, it is. Nose. It's it's surprisingly it pretty. So Brian, I hear you had somebody at Sante who had been listening to oh all let's of get the let's uh, let's get a shout out to uh, Chris Yarian who used to come to estate when Sandra owned estate back in the day which is now the general's daughter and him and his wife used to come there all the time they were regulars and they popped in on New Year's Eve at Sante we did a seven course with um, they did one of them did the classic wine pairing and the other one did the premier wine tasting but he said I listened to every show I said Great! I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little shout out on the uh, on the next podcast. Well, there you go. Did yeah. you get it? His name and everything. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate all you uh, people local Boy, and in, uh, do. and different countries around the world that we hear from too. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And and don't be surprised now if you start getting business from this. Sam has had. Well, I'm hoping four or five <laughs> uh, direct sales from this. Yeah. And. Even Bart, without a um, a tasting room, has had direct calls. I mean, you know, because he's got his number on it, right. and uh, you know, so well, anyone out there that you know, locals that haven't been to Jeff's tasting room, um, it it is definitely worth a visit. And if you're not from this area and you're planning on coming to Sonoma, make it a point for it to be one of your stops. Um, really important if you want to try. Jeff is a master of 
Zin, Beautiful wines. Um, he's even made blends that have Petit Syrah, Carignan, Viognier. Um, I don't even know, but but mostly what I know, <laughs> what I know, Jeff we, from we call is, our uh, Rhone-centric wines. Rhone-centric, right? right. right. And, and he sources out a rock pile for a lot of his stuff that I really enjoy. Um, but let's, let's try some of his wines. I, we got I, we got a bunch right. of bottles open. I, here. I fell you on the Vigne. His uh, um, Zin Casada, the Casada, Casada. Excuse me. And I, and I think I brought a bottle of the fifteen Casada today. It was Which is, beautiful. And I snuck a glass of this. Now, what, what am I drinking here? This is the Two Guys, Two Barrels. Two Guys, Two Barrels. Which is, a, a, what does that mean? You know, this is a project I do with one of my, one of the gentlemen who I met many, 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 many years ago. His name is Yves Gangloff. In oh, my sure. mind, he is one of the finest producers of <sighs> Condrieu and, and Cote Roti. Um, he is, he makes wines that are, as everybody would call, special. Yum. That's you know, they're good. not like anybody else's wines. And when I decided that I wanted to try to make Viognier, uh, I got together with Eve, and we, we decided to work up at Stagecoach because we wanted to find a vineyard that had that kind mm. of minerality. And we wanted to make the Viognier very different than everybody else does in California. Meaning, f- meaning what? Well, in California, I find that everybody wants to make this uh, peach-apricot Right. combination that is so high in alcohol that it, that it it's just it's <laughs> well, too that's much the way you get those flavors is by letting it hang a little bit longer right. and get those phenolics and so our goal was not to do it like everybody else we did not do a cool fermentation i did everything exactly the way he did it in france used the same cooperage same blend of wood wow. um, it's a proprietary blend uh, from this one particular cooperage warm fermentation the whole goal is not to be all about fruit. It's about to, the other complexities. And right. today we're trying the 14, which has a little bit more time in the bottle. I really wanted to see how that was showing. And uh, I like it because it's, it's, it's just it's totally balanced. It has it's good. It's round. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, it really hits every part of your mouth. So, you know, recently... Uh, it France, smells just like Condrio. And, and, and you're right, it does have the same minerality. It does, most of what you taste in, in California is just rich, ripe. It doesn't... Condrio is so different from most California Viognier, and this has a lot of similarities to that. I want minerality across the board on all my wines. It's, it's very important that it has that mineral backbone. Um, you know... Do you, cr- do you do any whole... Cluster. This is all whole crush? cluster. Okay. And all fermented in barrel, um, 30% new oak. Well, you're doing what you all can large for the format. minerality. Right. Large right. format. Um, you know, just I just let it go. You know, where a lot of people do cool fermentations, his, his concept is, you know what? The fruit is there. You need the richness, right. which you get through a warmer fermentation. I know a lot of people think I'm crazy, but, you know, as you said, it's very Condrieu. It's Proofs really in the pudding. Right. Francois yeah. Aviard, also yeah. from Condrieu, he came by not too long ago. He tried this in the tasting room. He goes, you know, it tastes just like Eve Gangloff's. Yeah. So that's, to me, that's the greatest compliment. And also the opportunity to do a project with one of your, one of your winemaking heroes, who now is my friend. And how did you guys meet? Uh, we met at Hospice de Rhone, or okay. at that time, I think it was uh, the Viognier Guild. Um, huh. And it was at that was uh, a while back. It was, it was, it was back, called the it was called the Viognier Guild. Yeah, because before Hospice Daron, really before Hospice Daron. Wow, how Matt weird. Garretson, uh started this still in, in in Paso still in Paso. Matt so Garretson like we were just focusing on Viognier. Like California um, was like yeah, Syrah, whatever. They're like Viognier. This is the guy. This is what's going to blow California right. up. Is yeah, Viognier? Yeah, at that They're point. like talk about putting your eggs in the not that. that was, <laughs> yeah, I have yeah. nothing against Viognier. I love Viognier. <laughs> no, no, no. But talk about putting your eggs in the wrong basket. Yeah. So, so you know, he does this thing, and the first night of the Hospice de Rhone or Viognier Guild at the time was Ronin Bowl. So we go to this bowling alley with all these winemakers from all yes. over yes. the world. I like and it. <laughs> I really wish I was into wine back then. Oh, my God. So, so you I'm there bowl. by myself, right? I love bowling. And these three guys, uh, three, four guys, actually, I'm sorry, Yves Gangloff, uh, Pierre Gaillard, Francois Viard, and Yves Coulerone are, are there. And how is their English, by the way? How is their the, bowling game? Point. Yves Coulerone speaks English. Uh, Yves Gangloff's English is okay. Pierre Gaillard mm. speaks fluent English. Okay. Francois Viard, who speaks hardly any English, and over the years he learned how to speak English just so he can meet girls. 
Nice. That was his goal. Not to sell wine, but to meet Makes women. Oh, that's good motivation. All right. Well, he's French. <laughs> All right. So these guys have nobody, nobody knows who they are. And I'm like, you know what? Come on, we'll, we'll go bowling together. So that's how I made these friendships. Wow, because n- awesome. nobody at that time knew who they were. And right. I, I decided, why not? And, and you know, I knew, I knew of Yves Couleron because his, his conjures are, are... He's legendary. He's yeah. legendary. Yeah. And what a nice guy. And, and later on, we'll get to taste the wine that I actually make with him. We, we pour the Yves Viniers by the half bottle. Oh, the, we have the, four or something on the list. We have one of his dessert wines on the list. Oh, yeah. yeah. Beautiful wines. Mm-hmm. Really good. And, and what, you know what? These guys are just genuinely nice and they're very open-minded to new ideas and uh to work with them and to go back and forth with you know suggestions and figure out how to make the best wine possible here in california so 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 you just hook up with them and then over over a period of years you guys are meeting at what what i guess became hospice Rhone. at hospice to the tastings do it you know hanging out with each other and and then decide let's do something together let's do something together right uh the first project i did was with pierre gaillard we did a uh, rock pile syrah and uh, coat roti blend um bringing over the coat roti juice on bulk no way uh from coat rosier and brought that over blended the two together that was just, you know, we called it Pourquoi Pas because so, at, bowling, at bowling, we talked about it, and he was like, uh, why not? You shipped the juice from France? <laughs> yeah. How do you do that with... How do you do it at legally all? Legally labeling a, laws. It was done in a big Nalgene container. What? So, yeah. So it was, it, was, it was insane. Flew into uh, Oakland. They were able to get it into Oakland, and then we had it trucked over. But it was, it was very, you know, a lot of nerves. It was very. Wow. It was. It was a lot of work and uh, stressful, but you know, in the end, it made a great wine. Wow! So, and then I did a, a Viognier with uh, Francois Viard over there, and then I started doing this project with Yves Gangloff and and Yves Coulon. So, right. uh, and and I'm now making a Chateau Neuf de Pop with uh, Anne Charlotte from Fontaineau. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, right. really? I love, so, she's so great, and she's amazing. She's I'm going to enjoy woman that in the entire world. So. Um, I think the world is finally really learning about her wines and yep. that, you know, elegance over power is, is really the answer. Yeah. Finesse. Well, we, we kind of missed a part of your experience. So you're, you decide to come out to California from Maryland, right? You somehow convince your wife that that's going to be a good idea. Still trying to convince Still. you that. <laughs> <laughs> and you get a job with Rosenblum, which I, I think a lot of listeners out there will know. I mean, the Rosenblum's Inn is... It's is everywhere. A, right. It, I mean, that's a, that's a well-known... It's Ravenswood wine. with a different name. So, yeah. I, you know, I interviewed with a bunch of different Zinn producers because that was my goal was to make Zinfandel at that point. Rhone varietals were very small at that point. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I met with Kent... And we had a very, very long uh, tasting in the, in the barrel room. Um, and I, I sat there and said, you know, it's in Alameda outside of Oakland. What the hell am I doing? But this guy, Kent's just, he's just, A, he's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in the world. He's so passionate. And I'm sitting there going, something's going to happen here. There's some kind of magic that is going to happen. Because I think you had nailed it down to three people or something that you I did. were, were going to work you with, know, right? It was either going to be Kent or, or Joel or Paul. Okay. You know, Ridge, Ravenswood. Those were the three that I was looking at. And right. I, I, you know, there was something with Kent that I just said, you know, and, and to go back to my wife and go, well, we're not going to be in Napa or Sonoma or Paso Robles or any of these Santa Barbara areas. We're going to be in Alameda, no, which is like, <laughs> right. where the hell is Alameda anyhow? Right. So you, you have to drive through some beautiful parts of Oakland right. to get there. Yeah, right off, <laughs> of, right off of Cutting Boulevard. That's right. <laughs> so once you, once you get through the tube, it's like, okay, I feel like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Um, so, you know, the time that I spent with Kent, we did a lot of really incredible experimentation. Um, I think we took Zinfandel to another level, and then we really took Rhone varietals to another level. Uh, so I had a lot of opportunity with Kent, and, and I, you know, I'm thankful for him. All so the I've time. never had any of their Rhones, just their Zins. Yeah, that's oh, it. Yeah, you know, unlucky, I guess, in that respect. 
Well, he let you make wines on the side, which I think is, you know, we know some people like that that are lucky enough to work for people in their day jobs that allow them to do things on the side, which sort of you know springboards why? that. So, so I'm coming yeah. back from San Francisco with Kent in this old beat up van. All right. And, and uh, he turns to me while we're on the bridge. He's like, you know, if you, this is 1996. If you're interested in starting your own label, we can make that happen. Wow. All right. So I got to the point where I got large enough that I actually had to kick myself out of the winery because I was taking up space that I really needed. And I'm the winemaker at this point at Rosenblum. I got to kick myself out so I can expand for Rosenblum. That's my money-making job, you know? Uh, So that's when I moved out and uh, started sharing a facility with Mike and Ann Dash from Dash Sellers. Well, it seems like everybody has a passion project. You have to. Uh, Bart Bart does. Uh, Peter Mathis uh, does at at uh, Ravenswood with his, um, and he makes great Grenache. Yeah. Um, I had one of his Uber blends with dinner last night, and uh, you know, so it's interesting. I, people, I think every winemaker got started by somebody saying, "If you, you know, it's okay if you want to do your own label. You know, it's okay." But do, you learn it, from each other. That's the way they started, too. That's right. So, you know, they let everybody do it. So, But yeah. you know what? It, it, it takes a special relationship to make that actually work. Right. Because you, you've got to remember that your first job. That's right. Right. There's always that boss. thing. It's like dating two women, you know, or you're taking time away <laughs> from, not that I would know anything about that. But you're, yeah, you're taking away time from one to be with the other, right? That's right. So that's something you got to be aware of. Well, you spend, point, you, gotta, you spend your time on your project. Right. You right. Know, it's, it's, right. It's like having something else. But as a winemaker, I mean, talk to do. Look at going into harvest. I mean, now you're looking at, okay, not only, uh, I'm working a lot of hours for my day job, but I'm also really passionate about this other wine that I'm making on the side. Where do I draw the line in, in delegating my, my daily hours? Well, at Rosenblum, I started during harvest. I would start at 4 in the morning, and I wouldn't finish till like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. So, Whew. you know, you just did. I did what I had That's to do. That's a tough day. That's a, That's long, a long day. day. It yeah. is. And, but uh, you did what you had to do. Yeah. That's yeah, I idea. did what I had to do, and I was younger, and I was, uh, I was passionate about it, and, and I'm happy I did it. Because, A, I learned a lot. Um, and I think working for somebody else, and, and I don't want to say we learn from mistakes, but you do. Yeah. And uh, not every experiment you, goes you, the way you think it you will. pretty much only learn, learn from your mistakes. That's right. You don't learn from your successes anywhere no. near what you learn from your mistakes. And, and again, I think just a, an amazing thing about, about wine and, and this community, and, and, and again, something that has drawn us all towards this business is that People that are that are involved in wine, whether it's from a restaurant level or producer level, um, everybody is just so generous. Everybody that that works in this industry loves this industry, and they they want to see other people do well. It's not cutthroat. It's not okay. you know I don't want my customers to go down the street to taste this other guy's wine because then he's going to stop buying ours. It's like no, please yeah, go down go the street, taste right. this, go and taste try, it, go try taste this, this specific wine. thing that I really like. Right, and and and, and that mentality you know, applies to, to owners of, of wineries where they, they want their winemakers to what other industry says, yes, do your day job. And also you're welcome to use this office to do your own work, to right. literally to take right. this space Absolutely. that they've given you to make their wine and you're on their payroll. And yeah, most, most places will, will divide the labor. They'll figure out a way to, so you're not, you know, on their clock making money, but also they, they, they figure it out, but they're, they're welcoming. They're they're inviting uh, of uh, to to use that space to use the same space that you're using to make their wines to make something for your. You'd never be able to do that. A new winemaker, a young a young kid coming in, would never in a million years be able to make their own wine. They would never right. be able to afford it. They would never be able to put together the scratch to find a facility to make it. But they can make it at their day job. Which is crazy. It's well, it's, and, it's, and, their and, and, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, jumping on top does of that, that, does that bring any it doesn't, it doesn't work memories well. back? It should bring memories back to you too. I tried it was, making wine once. Learn- <laughs> Dude, you know, Ian, I tr- I Ian tried-, tried to make wine in his 
sorry, this is so off topic. <laughs> Ian, it's not. Ian, it's not. So this is what I love about Ian, though, is he's you know he's just starting getting into wine. Then he decides I'm gonna make my own wine. I mean, so not, I, not, so not I'm gonna go work at a winery. So but so what I'm, I, gonna, I'm gonna make it at home in my bathtub. So when I moved here, oh, I moved man. I moved to Kenwood from that's Southern French Funk. For yeah, you, right? so yeah, I, that's the French <laughs> Funk. That's it. So I moved to Kenwood from Southern California, and uh, there were 30 Chardonnay vines in the driveway of this house that I was living at. This weird, there were six people living there, three bedrooms. It was a, it's a whole different story for a different time, but there were Chardonnay vines. And I asked the lady that owned the place if, if I could make wine. And she said, sure. She said, I, we've had these for 20 years. We've never made, we've never done anything with them. So I said, great. So I went out, I bought a, a basket press. I got all the equipment and I got the little, uh, I don't even remember the name anymore, but what you used to check bricks. Oh, yeah, um, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The little, the thing that like telescope that you look oh, through. Oh, yeah, refractometer. Uh, yeah, refractometer. Um, so I'm like looking through this telescope, like checking bricks every day. One day I'm like, oh, it's ready to go. The next day I do it again and it's like 21 bricks because I didn't realize that you had to take a sample. I didn't know anything about making <laughs> wine. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea that you needed to take a large sample. I would take like two grapes, three grapes. Right. And of course, one of them is going to be like 27 bricks and one of them is going to be like 19. So I'm like, it's like three weeks before harvest and I'm like, I'm ready to go. I don't know about you guys, but my grapes are ready. <laughs> they were not. So, so I finally, we, we picked the grapes. I get a couple, you know, 20 gallon brute trash cans. We pick them all by hand. We throw them into these trash cans. We destem them by hand. There's bugs everywhere. I had no idea how many bugs are on wine grapes. And it's like <laughs> this thing that we don't talk about, but it's like, it's, it's produce. There's like, there's bugs. So I'm like picking spiders off, like throwing them away. We're crushing everything by hand. We, so we finally like, we get down, we press it. We put it in these brute trash cans again and I leave it in the bathroom with a, a, a cheesecloth over top and a wood board to keep the cheesecloth down. Uh, literally next to kitty litter boxes. This right. was an old used bathroom that nobody was using, but the cats used. It has a very nice odor too. So sure, I thought it wasn't I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, that's not cat pee smell. I'm like, this is not like gooseberry. Like in your, this is not like, you know, Sauvignon Blanc smell. This is actually cat pee in your wine. And I, I thought, you know, it, like the first like few weeks of fermentation, I thought, nah, maybe this is just what new wine smells like. Maybe this is what fermentation smells like. Yeah, I had no knows? idea. Right. I had never smelled a fermenting wine before. So it, it goes through and, and a month later, there were points where I said, oh, this actually, this smells interesting. This smells like Chardonnay. This, this yeah. could work. And then a couple months later, I'm like, no, this is, this is really bad. I think I left it for about six months just for fun, just to see where it'd go. And it was, it was, un I, I, I considered <laughs> taking a sip, but I thought it might kill me. I don't um, want to hear any story, any, so any I, more. I, uh, I, I dumped yeah. it all down the drain. I bottled two of them just for fun so that in, and, in 15 years, if I end up actually ever making wine, I can so look back and say, those. here yeah. it is. Excellent. But it, it has like a poison label on it. It's like, do not open this. Robert up. Parker gives it a 99. <laughs> there you go. Damn, if I only knew. Best Chardonnay I've ever had. There's only two bottles. Yeah. So <laughs> well, don't don't do that. How about that the thousand dollar bottle made on the roof in Manhattan? I don't think it's been released yet, but it no, it's Brooklyn uh, rooftop wine. Right, and, and it. Uh, you're only going to make are one you on bottle. The you're on the I'm mailing not, list, aren't you? I, of course, I'm on the mailing list. So, have you heard about this? Yeah, yeah. So, so we'll see. We'll we'll come coming soon to a uh, wine shop near you if you can afford it. Thousand dollars a bottle. <laughs> there you go. Right, Jeff. Uh, that was beautiful wine. What are we gonna? We're gonna go with the first next. date next. Yes, yes. Okay. Which I'm so, already drinking, by the way. So the first date. This is oh, a wine. No, no, no. I've had that one. All right. Yeah. You want to pass that over, Jeff? I haven't had it. Okay. I'll take a little bit. What Thank did you. I start with? Then? So you started with the Viognier. Okay. And Jeff, I think sometimes it's a Marsan Roussan blend, correct? You know, we start. So here's the whole story behind first date. Uh, when I, I started making Viognier a long, long time ago, 1997, I made Viognier. And uh, I couldn't sell it to save my life because everybody thought it was Viognier. Right, Wagner. Some, yeah. some people some still crazy. do. Some yeah. crazy, and I have to be honest. Was it really good? No, it wasn't. It wasn't great, um, and and it was a learning experience. And my wife was like, you know, Viognier, let's let's do something else. And I said, God, you know, Roussan Marsan, the world should be ready for that in 1999 or right. <laughs> Everybody, you know, because we live in this Roan world, right? And yeah. all my friends are Ronies, and it's like, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's be the so, next yes, big thing. It's going to be the next best thing, right. and I'm going to be on that top of the crest of the totally. wave. You'll already be and, there. Oh, so I make this wine, the Roussan Marsan, and you know what? It really is delicious. Yeah. But my wife's like, nobody knows what the hell that is, all right? 
you're going to have to come up with a name. So at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm on the computer. I'm like, you know, it's going to be the first wine of the night. It's romantic. Wait a minute. They call it the first Wait a minute. date. 2 o'clock in the morning and it's his first wine of the night? <laughs> did you? Did I hear that correctly? <laughs> maybe that, not that night. But I thought that was just Ian and I. Maybe 2 o'clock in the morning. I mean, we get so, off at 1 o'clock in the morning, so sometimes that's actually it's true. Right. Of the night. It's usually true. So, so we came up with this concept, uh, and then we came up with the concept of putting all different types of uh, words that describe the first date on it. Curiosity, spark, flirt, excitement, passion, touch, kiss, love. Jitters, chemistry, butterflies, crush, attraction, anticipation, flattery, smiles, connection, and nerves. And on the back, I came up with a little saying that says, the start of something special, your heart pounds, the spark of a new romance. You never know unless you go on that first date. And a few years back, we decided, you know, the Marson aspect of this wine was, for me, maybe a little too serious. It, it, it took it down this really deep path. And with this wine, I thought I wanted to brighten it up a little bit. And uh, I decided to go with some older vine, Grenache Blanc, down in Santa Barbara. Continue with the Roussan. And I think we've taken this wine to another level yeah. um, of, of enjoyment. And uh, I love it. You know, part of it is fermented and aged in concrete. The rest is done in barrels, 30%, which is new oak. Right. All large format. You do still get a little bit of that seriousness with the Roussan. The Roussan adds a nice... That richness. Depth and richness and, 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 and weight to it. Yeah. Mm. This is one of those Beautiful gateway stuff. drugs that the girl in the fig, when, uh, when, you know, when people gateway. are looking for the Chardonnay, people come in and they just want something that's got that richness to it. Oh, that's yeah. Any, anybody perfect. looking for a Chardonnay would, would yeah. love this wine. Oh, yeah. And once again, we ferment this a little warmer than most people would. And that's why you get this richness. And mm -hmm. it's not just only about fruit. Um, you know, I just don't want it to go down that path. I want it to always be some minerality, some richness, and then have the fruit be there. Yeah. Layers. It's all about layering. Right. You know, if you could put together the perfect wine, what would it be? Mm. Red or white? Either or. You know what? I mean, you were just talking about the layering and how you put this together. You were talking about your... Pick, pull, blanc, and pick, pull, noir. Dream. And, we, and we did. We had this discussion <laughs> earlier that you, you, the, the, with the whites, right? You only drink white, right? Or you, I drink primarily drink whites. Primar I drink primarily whites. And, and as, as it has a, to do with the, the rapid pace at which I drink. I think. <laughs> okay. But as a winemaker, as a winemaker, I love making white wine because... Every single vessel is so different if you're fermenting in it. Right. It has a different expression, and you're able to, to take this wine from uh, a, a deeper path to a brighter path to something in between. You know, some of the fermentations are a little bit more funky, so that adds another layer of complexity to the wine. And I just love that, uh, being able to transform this wine into something totally different than what it started off with. And you've said something interesting in the past that you almost wish that you didn't have to bottle wines. Now, hold on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did say because that. So we could just drink yeah, it all. I'm no, because you remember Jeff that. actually, he would prefer if people came in and drank his wines right out of the barrel. Yeah, I would. Which, which I think is very interesting because some people think about bottle aging, that it adds these layers of complexity. Jeff thinks anytime you're moving a wine, it's creating some sort of trauma um, in that wine, and that he wishes that people would just come in and fill up their glass right out of the barrel. Uh, uh, if I could sell it by the barrel, I would. Hmm. If I could um, sell it by the ooh. barrel, I <laughs> what would. What about if you know, just Kimmelstadt I mean, and his his system? Well, he does the the oh, barrels. Yeah, the, well, he he sells the uh, what do you call those the uh, the things that you fill up at the breweries too? Cake. Oh, okay. uh, growlers. Growlers. Oh, growlers. Growlers. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's he's doing Mini he's doing wine for, wine on tap, and you, you yeah, go into right. Kibblestadt and you can buy a, yeah. a, a growler of wine. But well, you hear about that with rosé and stuff. But but Jeff's already talk, he's talking about red wine as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I would oh. love, you know like in 1998 when I went to visit Eve Gangloff, I, I I tasted through his wines with him out of barrel. And I asked him about racking, and he goes, uh, is the wine reduced? And I'm like, you know, the reduction component? And I, I said, no, it tastes great. He goes, I never rack. Huh. And, and, you know, in college, you learn you need to rack, you know? And, and I, he asked me, he said, is there a problem? I said, no, it's fantastic. He goes, and after that comment, I said, you know what? My wine's not reductive. I'm not going to rack it. 
right. and I want to leave it alone. I leave it in the barrel, you know, 18 months with not an issue. Um, and that's so why if, it would if, be, you're, if you're not racking, do you just, when you're bottling, do you just stop towards the bottom? We'll, we'll, we'll rack it at that point. You rack it, at the, at the, you rack it once at the very One end. One time. Because otherwise, what would do most winemakers, they rack it a few times to, I think, to uh, yeah, but get rid of I, the maybe sediment less little, less little, now, little by maybe little. Maybe less and less. Yeah. Maybe cab producers rack more, but yeah. I think Rhone producers as a whole, we kind of leave things alone. I think we've all started to learn that. Yeah. Right. Do you want to? Uh, I don't know how many people listening know what racking is. Do you want to explain is, the process you know, of racking and, and why people do it? When you have wines in barrel, you have sediment that forms at the bottom. Um, also, because it's in a, a reductive state, no oxygen getting into the barrel, very or very small amounts. You know, it can become closed and a little funky smelling. So a lot of people like to take it off the lees. To make it brighter and fresher, and also to to have clarity, uh, so people will do that maybe two to four times uh, uh, during its lifetime. For me, I I just want to leave everything in there, uh, and just look at champagne. Be. Look at how many times they rack and riddle that. I mean, how many times? Oh, the riddling of the yeah, of the oh, bottles. Yeah, I think what what Jeff's talking about more is kind of like I think of it like stew. When you make a really good stew and you leave it in the fridge for two, three, four days, as opposed better. to people it eating it the next better, day, yeah. it's, oh, yeah. it's, right. it's, it's yeah, getting that You're not, not going to pull that stew out of the fridge and, and, and filter it. You're not going to... Right, right, and run it through sense. a filter. Yeah, run it through like a cheese Let's cloth. Let's just yeah, get the yeah. carrots and potatoes and <laughs> yeah. beef. No, you want that sauce. <laughs> I don't want sauce. the sediment. No, you want right. everything want in there. The, that's, that's, what, yeah. that's, what, that's what creates the sauce. That's what creates that beautiful flavor of a soup that's been in the fridge for three days is... All of those pieces of the vegetables and the beef, like literally falling off, yeah, and coming becoming, together, becoming part of the sauce. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what it's all about. Jeff, what else did you bring? Oh, I brought so many wines today. I know. I, I, I <laughs> went crazy. I went with six wines. <laughs> oh, it's I really like. Lot. I like both of these 12, wines a lot. 15, these are really nice. Thank you. Know. You. Um, you know, once again, I don't want to make these overblown white wines that you know are just about total fruit. Um, the next wine we're gonna have. Uh, is the Rinaldi Vineyard Fiddletown Zin. So I think we need to give each a little rinse in these glasses because the white kind of overpowers uh, at times. Let me get so. new glasses. Oh, sure. no, we're good. We're good we're with good. rinse, I we're think. We're good. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're we're not good. in a drought anymore, but we could be, John. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so as I was telling you guys earlier, um, back in college, I took this wine class, and uh, my professor poured this Zin from Ridge from Fiddletown, from the Eschen Vineyard. And that was one of those eye-opening experiences for me. We've all had that one wine that just makes everything click. And that particular wine just blew me away. So a few years ago, Kent Rosenblum and I are actually consulting together for Renwood. And I came across this one wine called Rinaldi, and I was like, God, I really, I just love that aromatics and the pepper component, which you're going to love. I like that And, and I'm like, you know you're, what? You're stepping into John's wheelhouse That's at this right. Point. That's right. And I thought to myself, God, you know, it's old vine, Amador fruit from Fiddletown. And then to find out that the Rinaldi Vineyard mm. used to be called the Eschen Vineyard. So it's a full circle for me. So now I am making actually the wine that really turned me on to Zinfandel to begin with. That's amazing. Where, where is Fiddletown? Is Fiddletown a, a town in, in Amador? It is. Okay. It's a town in Amador where they still have a fiddle contest every year. Do they play year. fiddles? Okay. They do. Once a year, they have their fiddle contest. So And, they, and they still dig for gold. I, You know, there is a gold mine up there. I know. So. It, it, it's gold. That's where gold fever started. John, my, my family still goes up to Downeyville every year for the 4th of July, and we pan. Dude, yeah. I used to love panning for gold yeah. as a kid. Did you get it? My mom literally still has. My mom yeah. still has like a jar in her freezer. I swear it's been there for like twenty five years now. She has a jar in her freezer of like fool's gold that oh, I mined okay. when I was like six. And there's a little tag on it that says "For Show and Tell." Ian's fool's gold. And I'm like, did we ever even bring this in? And why is it still in the freezer? <laughs> why do you still have this? Still, Every year I go back and I open no, the freezer and it's still the there. I still have some upstairs. Yeah, it, it is fool's gold. And it's, it's not even worth anything. It's fool's gold. But I had so much fun mining for it. I remember right. I was so young, too. It's, it's such a good time. Magic, oh, yeah. right? That's oh, when yeah. you do it. 
Well, it's a lot of work, honestly. I, I do it for about 20 <laughs> yeah. minutes and then I'm done. If I don't find that huge three ounce <laughs> nugget, nugget, you're out. Right. Um, okay, kids you're, take over. You're kicking I'm up with a bottle of Pickful right, totally. hanging out for the rest of the day. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> totally. How do you keep it cold? Well, you just toss that Pickful in the, uh, right in the... Oh, in that's the, snow uh, melt. It's not a problem, boy. And no. If no, you need you a, a way to sober up after dinner... Um, Jump, drink pick bull? Jump, no, <laughs> no, jump in that river. <laughs> jump in the river. Ooh, yeah, boy. It's a cold yeah. one up there. 100% Zin. 100% beautiful. Zin, old vine. Uh, Eight year old vines. Hmm. And so, you're right about the pepper. The pepper is the there. The nose is gorgeous. And yeah. then it just, you know, it. You know, I like this stuff. It's never my, <laughs> it's not going to ever be my biggest and darkest wine that I make, but I just love the aromatics and the mouthfeel and the texture and the layering. I'm not a Zen um, guy. I like that a lot. Thank you. That has a really nice balance between it does have a lightness to it. it it's 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 fun. It's fruit forward, but it also has that savory component and that it absolutely has some black pepper. And that's not a note that I get. That's a note that you hear a lot, especially in right. Zen. I hear black pepper all the time yeah. and you taste it and you go, you're just making this up. This is just something you say because you think that Zin's supposed to have black pepper in it. Like you're tasting a Syrah and you go, this is bacon because you think that Syrah has bacon in it. And half the time it doesn't. This has a really nice little rush and like uh, uh, just a little pop of black pepper right at the very beginning that gives it a nice savory quality. That, that it, This toes a, a line between bright and, and dark, which yeah, very nice. I like a lot. Balance. The yeah, goal, balance the goal is, the is to, to be very Rhone-centric. And uh, when you come to my tasting room, we have some sayings on the wall. Um, one of them is from Eve Gangloff. We're coming down from Stagecoach. And I've got Gangloff and Coolerone and Villard in the car. My wife is driving. And my wife, being who she is, turns around and asks them, so whose wines do you like? And, you know, I said, don't, don't, please don't say mine because that's just, you know. <laughs> and, and Eve Gangloff is like, you know what, I do. I like your wines. And, I, and my wife says, so why? She goes, you know, your, your husband makes wines that are, like a tightrope walker. One side is very French, one side is very California, and he walks that tightrope between. No. And, and to me, that is probably the, the nicest thing that any winemaker has ever said about my wines, because um, that, that has always been my goal, uh, to make these Rhone-centric wines that are balanced, not always over the top. And, and uh, even though my alcohol is, you know, maybe this is 15.5, it's there. It doesn't. If it is, it doesn't taste like But it doesn't taste, taste like, like, it. like, what is it, 15.5, 15.2? I don't even know. 15.4, yeah, it doesn't 15-4. taste like that at all. It doesn't taste like that, you <clears throat> know? So I could drink that all day. Well, well all right. We, well, <laughs> well, what time is it? Here we, we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's only noon. Uh, that's a great point and something that I, I, I think we need to look more towards in California. There's been such a, a talk and debate over the last, not just a few years, it's been it's been a long time, but <clears throat> the 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 debate of balance and you know ripeness and and then in response to ripeness in response to that you know anything but chardonnay the we hate this new california style wine we're going to go to the polar opposite we're going to go to the extremely lean the extremely light and i think what what we need to find and we we still haven't really found collectively as a california winemaking population is is our own identity and i think that our identity should be it should be that it should be finding balance absolutely we should look towards towards Europe. Obviously, these people have been making wine for far longer than we have. And, and they're wines that, that most of us, most of us in the wine profession look towards. They're our favorite things to drink. We, we tend to prefer European wines. But I think we need to, it still needs to have a sense of place. It still needs to be Californian in the end. But it needs to be, they should be, I think, balanced. It should play that tightrope between some, Euro, some European kind of mentality. It should have uh, lightness and balance and, and not just overt fruit flavors, but still needs to very clearly come from California. Um, in pursuit of balance. I think Jamie Kutch is, uh, is on that. Uh, I mean, how nice is that? In, yeah. pursuit, in of pursuit of balance. balance. Look, I yeah. always say God was a Frenchman who liked the vacation in California. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. I, I mean, like that. So I like it a lot. You know, um, well, not, uh, not all uh, of our listeners are in Sonoma. Obviously. Right. And um, how do they get in touch with you and um, phone numbers? Uh, I give you a phone number right now uh, for the tasting room call 707-938-8343. And we have wonderful people there who will take your call and, and help you out <laughs> with anything you want. And um, you are you, you opened a brand new place, a tasting lounge in... 
right uh, off the in square. Sonoma, right next to the uh, red, red grape. grape, which is God. You must just get traffic like crazy. We get in some there. nice traffic, and we get some nice people. Um, it's amazing. We we have been very mm. fortunate. We have a lot of great neighbors. Um, obviously, the girl in the fig takes nice care of us. Um, you know, I'm going to say Sandra is probably our biggest fan over there. Uh, and I think the Rhone world in downtown Sonoma has really increased. Um, so many producers are making Rhone varietals yeah. because, um, you know, I always feel that when you drink Cabernet, you have to be all dressed up. But when you drink Zinfandel and Rhone varietals, you can run around naked and free. Well, and because so, of uh, Sonoma County. I mean, you got 17 Sonoma different AVAs making That's over right. 60 different varietals. So we're not tied down to some of these other AVAs, so, you know, on the other side of the mountain where they're, you know, they're get, making their money off Cap One Chard. One pony. You know, and, no. Uh, no, we actually uh, have a lot of fun over here, and we get to make these different varietals. So it's nice to, you know, run varietals make sense. Um, it, it does. Yeah. And so I have three more wines for us to try. Okay, we're gonna, but we're out of time for this. Uh, well, we'll taste this them show. anyhow. And uh, well, <laughs> we, we have another show to do. That's the key. So uh, I want to say thanks to everybody for listening. Thank uh, Jeff Cohn for coming on. Ian Blessing for coming over and, and just kind of hanging out and giving us your opinion. I love hanging out. Uh, Mr. Uh, Casey, as always, I want to thank you. Yeah. Gr- Mr. Interview, you you do such a good job on interviewing people. You really do. Okay, well, I'm just curious. Well, that's the idea, <laughs> isn't it? Well, and a shout out, another shout out to Chris Yarian. Keep listening, tell a friend. Um, we love hearing about people that uh, like listening to the show. That's right. Yeah. Everybody who, if you, if you listen, please uh, give us a... A reference and, and a response and and drop us a line drop us a line that's yeah. it so all right thanks that's everybody good. you've been listening to the winemakers